So we all know that God, like, sort of, as a, like a parent, has to like us, right? He's our creator and that sort of thing. But what I want you to do is I want you to think for a second about how you actually feel based on your life, based on your circumstances, based on your mood, based on everything collectively. What I want you to do, actually, is I want you to put a number on it, okay? So if you grab a piece of paper or a phone, what I want you to do is I want you to put a number on it. One being, I don't feel God loves me much at all based on my circumstances. A 10 would be, man, I absolutely 100%. And don't answer this based on, um, like, I know in Sunday school I learned that God loves me and that sort of thing. I want you to know how you, and what you're actually experiencing right now in your life, how would you answer the question, God's love for me is a blank? Go ahead and write that number down. We're continuing this series that we're calling Via Crucis, which is Latin for the way of the cross. We've been using the Gospel of Matthew as a guide as we follow Jesus from Galilee to Golgotha. So what we did is we started in Matthew chapter 12, the very first time Jesus experienced some persecution by religious leaders. We then went to Matthew chapter 16. Last week we were in Matthew 21, where Jesus' triumphal entry came, and he came in as the king in Jerusalem into a city that metaphorically he is conquering and ushering in a new kingdom. Now we come into Matthew chapter 26 and 27, what theologians call the passion narrative. Passion not in terms of excitement, but passion in terms of suffering. Matthew 26 and 27 is a very detailed picture of a theological image. Now what that image is, 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 is spelled out in the first couple verses of Matthew 26. It says this, when Jesus had finished saying these things, last week we talked about it, he came into Jerusalem and he started teaching people and confronting religious leaders. After he was done with all of that, he said, as you know, the Passover is two days away and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. And then the chief priests and the elders of the people assembled in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and they schemed to arrest Jesus secretly and to kill him. Does everybody know what the Passover is? Old Testament, God's people are in slavery. They're in Egypt. Pharaoh won't let them go. God sends plagues, right? What are the plagues? Frogs, gnats, country music. He sends it all. All kinds of people, right? And eventually, the very last thing that he does, Moses is pleading with him, please let Yahweh's people go. But he wouldn't relent. And so Yahweh sent the angel of death that went and struck down the firstborn male of every single family in Egypt, whether they were Jewish or not. And so Moses told God told Moses, I want you to tell the people to go and sacrifice a lamb. You're going to take the blood from the lamb and you're going to spread it over the doorposts. And when the angel sees the blood, the angel will pass over that house. But just so you don't think I'm like sadistic anything, I want you to take the lamb and you're going to eat it together that night as a family. 
that meal became the tradition of the Passover meal. Jesus and his disciples, right before he was crucified, celebrated a Passover meal. And the whole point that Matthew was trying to make is that there were 365 days Jesus could have picked to go and get himself crucified. He purposely did it on the Passover. Because just like the lamb that was innocent and perfect, as perfect as possible, this lamb without blemish, Jesus would become this Passover lamb. And so what I want to do is I want to talk about four things that Matthew artistically weaves together in this narrative to show you how much God loves you. And the first thing that Jesus went through is that Jesus was tortured. Let's read our passage together. Matthew 26, 27 says, Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. The whole company. They stripped him, put a scarlet robe on him, and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on its head, set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand. Then they knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. They spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe, put his own clothes back on him, and then led him away to be crucified. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Black Hawk Down, which was a real-life depiction of our soldiers in Somalia where a helicopter went down A pilot was killed, and so they took his body, stripped his clothes off, and then drug him through the city. During the time of Passover, the Roman soldiers normally just kept a small contingent in Jerusalem, and then all of the soldiers were on the sea in Caesarea. During the Passover, like at, let's say, New Year's Eve, when there will be a bazillion people that will go up to Times Square and they'll have the entire force of police on alert, the soldiers were brought into Jerusalem. And so there was this heightened sense of there could be something that goes wrong at any moment. We need to be ready to pounce on it. And so what happened was Jesus became their form of entertainment. Why do we have to go to the stupid city with a bunch of ignorant religious Jews and waste our week. Let's have some fun with this guy. The first thing Matthew tells us they did is they stripped him naked. This is a clear insult in Jewish culture. The next thing we're told, second, is they put a purple robe on him. Purple dye was expensive, and so royals as well as extremely wealthy people It was the collar of kings. Next, they put thorns on his head. They twisted a crown and jammed it on its head. Caesar wore a crown. If you're a king, you need to wear a crown too. Fourth, they mocked him. They put a staff in his hand. Hail, king of the Jews. The stick was a mock scepter that a king would use. Can you imagine if they really knew who he was? Then the fun was over. Then it says they beat him. They spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. And then the whole governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium. The whole company of soldiers. 
The Jewish historian Josephus tells us 600 men. And finally, they spit on him. They committed the ultimate insult in Semitic culture. They spit on him. Now, it's hard to convey in words what that moment meant, what it must have felt like. And so I think to truly understand what he went through, we have to see it. We have to see exactly what it was like for him to be tortured and rejected for us. So it's hard to convey until you see it, what happened. Well, the second thing that Matthew tells us after he was tortured, he was crucified on a tree. It's important to understand that it was a tree. It was wood. It was symbolic. Verse 31 says, after they mocked him, they took off the robe and put on his own clothes and they led him away to crucify him. And as they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull, and there they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots, And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. And above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Now, verse 32 tells us that they met a man named Cyrene, or from uh, from Cyrene named Simon. Um, Usually, uh, Romans would make the person that's being crucified carry their own cross, But Jesus had been beaten so much and disoriented that he was too weak to do so. And so that when they got to the city gate, they grabbed some man off the street. More than likely, Matthew knows his name because that event led to his own conversion to becoming a disciple of Jesus. Now, out of... of, Romans wouldn't carry a cross because it's too dishonorable to them, and Jews didn't carry a cross for a very good reason, which we'll talk about in a second. It reminds us in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, that Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. And that isn't just a, so that we can create a fine piece of American jewelry that we hang around our neck. What Jesus is saying is that you must be willing to go through that if you're going to be my disciple. That's what he's saying. This nice American form of Christianity where we come every once in a while when we feel like it, take a toke on the Jesus pipe, and then go home till the next event, and we will participate whenever we feel like it. That is the standard of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Verse 33 says, they came to Golgotha, the place of the skull, and Golgotha was a town garbage dump. That's all it was. And it was positioned on a hillside. No one really knows where it is today. There are a couple different theories uh, as I've been in Israel, and no one really knows where the spot was. They know the general vicinity. Now the next thing, this is very significant. Verse 34 says, they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall, But after he tasted it, he refused it. In the first century, gall was a strong narcotic. It's like a triple form, a quadruple form 
of oxycodone. So the people nearby understandably offered him something that would dull the pain or knock him out. He refused to do it. You have to understand that. He refused to basically avoid anything that, that he went through. And then in verse 35, it said that they crucified him. Now, the gospel writers don't go into detail about what crucifixion really was, but we know from the ancient world and a great work by a New Testament scholar named Martin Hingle wrote a thin little book called Crucifixion, exactly what they did. William Lane said that crucifixion was one of the cruelest and most degrading forms of punishment ever conceived by human perversity, even in the eyes of the pagan world. Jewish historian Josephus said it was the most wretched of all ways of dying. In fact, our word excruciating comes from the Latin word crucis, which means cross. Roman soldiers used this method of execution quite frequently because it was an incredible deterrent for crime. But Jewish law strictly forbade any Jews from being crucified on a tree or hung on a tree. Deuteronomy 21:23 said, "Cursed by God is any man who hangs on a tree," which is why the, the Jewish leaders at the time thought it would just be great if the Romans crucified him. Now, how was a person crucified? The person, as we talked about, was stripped completely naked. The person was whipped. The whip that was used was called a flagellum. It had a short stick, pieces of leather, and at the end there would be pieces of bone that when you hit the person with the bone fragments and then you pull it back, it could just shred the back of the skin. The person usually was struck about 39 times, just enough to bring them to the point of death, but not to actually kill them because you don't want to be hanging around for a long time watching a guy die on a cross over a three- or four-day period of time. The person was then attached to a cross beam, and the cross beam which the victim carried to the city hill was placed in the ground. So there would be a stick that was already there, and they would carry this beam. We think of crosses as these things that look like this. More than likely, the cross Jesus was crucified looked like a T, And so the beam, the cross, you see people like will carry crosses and they'll drag them along. That's not at all what was happening with Jesus. Jesus was just logging, grabbing this big piece of wood that they were going to attach there. Once there, the hands would be fastened to the cross because it was unusual for someone to be crucified by actually nailing into their body. But they did that with Jesus. Um, normally they were just left to hang for days and days and days, and they were low enough so that animals could come and basically rip their bodies off of the cross and eat their bodies. Finally, after they were placed up on the cross, in Jesus' terms, he wasn't, he wasn't crucified in his hands. The nail would have pulled straight out of his hands. It was, it was a, when, when the gospel writers talk about that, it's a circumlocution, uh, meaning that it was referring to the whole area. More than likely he was crucified right there. His legs were brought together, and there was one archaeological find where they found a, a, a large nail that went through an ankle bone, and that's what would happen with Jesus. And so when they hoisted him up on the cross, the way he died 
besides the wounds that he experienced was simply asphyxiation. The person hanging on the cross, their lungs would begin to burn, and the only way to breathe would be to push up on your feet. You'd, at a sitting position, you would push up on your ankles where there would be a nail. And he would just, every single time he wanted to breathe, he would push up on the nail, take a breath, and then sink back down with the nails on his wrists. And so Jesus had been up the entire night. He had a final Passover supper with his disciples. He went through a mock trial with Jewish authorities, a mock trial with Roman authorities, was beaten nearly to death, and now it's nine in the morning, and he just hangs there, pushing up and down. And so the third thing that I want to show you is that Jesus was alive for six hours while people made fun of him, while people mocked him. Let's read the passage. In verse 39, it says, those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days? Why don't you come down and save yourself? Come down from the cross to the Son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. He saved others. Everyone looked, but he can't save himself. He's your king that you just celebrated a few days ago? Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I'm the son of God. Surely God wouldn't allow this to happen. In the same way, the rebels, the insurrectionists that were found, were crucified with him. They also heaped their insults at him. Crucifixions drew large crowds, somewhat like in the late 1800s in the Wild West with Old West hangings. You see pictures of people having picnics and going out. It was a form of entertainment. Jesus was a popular person. Now Matthew tells us that three groups of people passed by, crowds just walking by that day. They hurled insults at him. You're going to destroy the temple and build it in three days? There was a famous Jewish saying during the time of Jesus. It's recorded in the Mishnah, and it said, before a man puts his trust in flesh and blood and asks another person to save him, that person must first save himself from death. So they're shaking their heads. The chief priests and the teachers of the law were mocking him. We know, beginning in Matthew chapter 12, that the religious leaders wanted to get rid of him. And now, even the insurrectionists. In uh, first century culture, there was a group of people called the Sakari, named after their um, knives. And the Sakari essentially would go into crowds, and they would pull out their knives and just simply stab people in the crowd. And so there would just be people dropping dead in these crowds, but no one knew who they were. That's who these people were. Finally, Matthew tells us is that Jesus was abandoned by God himself. Verse 45 says, from noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama slavashtani, which means in Aramaic, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now when Matthew says in verse 45 that the sky turned dark, he writes that at the sixth hour it turned completely dark. That was 12 noon when the sun was at its zenith. And Matthew says that it went into an eclipse for three hours. 
And the picture is pretty clear here if you're Jesus. In the only time in human history, only to be repeated at the final day of judgment, when God turns his back on non-believers when they are sent to hell, God turned his back on Jesus. And on that moment, the sin of every single person that had ever lived or would ever lived was now carried in the body of this one person. And so let me conclude with just two quick comments. First, Jesus did this voluntarily. Everything that happened, the betrayal, the arrest, the mock Jewish trial, the mock trial by Pilate, the beatings, the humiliation, the whipping and the nails, and ultimately his death. He told Peter when Peter tried to fight back, you do understand that all I have to do is ask my father, and he would send a legion of angels and just wipe these people out instantly. I'm choosing this. And the most important thing is that Jesus did this voluntarily in your place and mine. Everything that happened that day from the beatings on the cross to his death, he did it not because he did something wrong, but because you did something wrong because I did something wrong. Every act of unforgiveness, every thought and act of hate and anger, every impure thought, every slanderous word, every stupid mistake we have ever made as human beings. Romans 5.8 tells us God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners... Christ died for us. And so I want you to think of that number that you wrote down at the beginning of the service. God's love for me is a... What would that number be for you now? God, we have been following you on your journey from Galilee to Golgotha. Help us to understand what you did for us. Help us to feel what you did for us and help us to act on what you did for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to Brian Jones Sermons. For more information and to find similar articles on this topic and more, please go to Brian's website at brianjones.com.